Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, because okay, I didn't have a big expense. <laughs> yeah, I was running a lean business at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then um, the uh, the other thing I adopted when I started my own business, which I I wish I would have started earlier, is I, I imagined every day that there was a mud field, and that I would just throw seeds into the mud field, mm-hmm. and I'd throw a hundred seeds out, and maybe one would grow. And I just gave this um, advice to someone who's changing their career. I caught up with her for a 7 a.m. coffee this week. And um, and we gave each other advice. And I said, just throw one seed out, one seed out a day. Just do one thing to move yourself to where you want to be going. And, mm-hmm. and, and by setting yourself that kind of goal, you actually end up doing Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Karen James is the CEO of Business for Development, an NGO based in Australia, operating globally and helping communities around the world grow businesses and be entrepreneurial um, using agriculture as their main source of income. Before being a CEO, Karen spent many years in the corporate sector, over three decades, and her last employment in the corporate sector was with the Commonwealth Bank. She's also a consultant and spent many years helping other organizations deliver products, Um, services on purpose. She describes herself as a purpose expert, and I would have to agree 100% with her. Her ability to stay focused on purpose has allowed her to transition from sector to sector. She started her career as an engineer. She then worked in IT. She did a master's in the environmental studies. She then moved to leadership roles and became very customer-centric in the way that she um, implemented large enterprise-wide projects for the Commonwealth Bank. And that's when I met her. We've been um, connected ever since, and she's a very charismatic, extroverted leader that really um, supports everybody around her and is incredibly um, entrepreneurial and business uh, focused, but also very warm and caring in her nature. So I believe that that all of those qualities has enabled her to um, build this beautiful career across the globe and across different sectors. And I wanted her to share that with the listeners today. What I think is um, important to realize is even though Karen is now a very senior executive, she wasn't. And in everybody listening to this podcast can um, take a leaf off her book and, and understand that what she has done can inspire and support your own personal career development. Um, she's also an extrovert, and we address that um, as part of the questions that I've asked her during the podcast. And you may not be an extrovert, but I know that Karen has worked uh, with introverts. She supports introverts, and I ask her to give some advice for those who um, don't find it as easy as she has found to let people know, you know, what her purpose is, what she's interested in, so that the opportunities come knocking at her door rather than um, the other way around. 
Um, and you can do that as an introvert or as an extrovert. So addressing all of this at the beginning, I think is important for you to have a great listen. And I love listening to stories. And this is a great story that starts in New Jersey, ends up in Melbourne, Australia. She's now based in Sydney because there's a COVID lockdown and she's still in Sydney. But um, And I, I suppose that she uh, is between Sydney and Melbourne for her work at the NGO and the work that she does consulting as well. So without further ado, enjoy this chat with Karen. This is our um, episode just before Christmas. Enjoy uh, your festive season. And if you're preparing your festivities, whatever it is that you're celebrating, um, I hope that you're listening to this and wrapping up your gifts and organizing your dinner parties or your holidays away um, or just staying like I am in the house lockdown mode it's also nice and warm and cozy bye for now hello hello <laughs> how are you I'm just looking at my hair <laughs> it's it's always like that when people come on on zoom they're like oh <laughs> get surprised with their own with themselves and their faces and how the camera is and uh, i know i know <laughs> yeah. so let's crack in let's crack in let's crack in uh, but before we start with the questions that i sent you because i know you you probably have prepared um i want to talk a little bit about covid because you are now a ceo of an organization and you're working remotely how are you doing it how is it to manage and lead uh, from a distance I guess the first thing is there's, there's, there's managing from a distance and then there's managing from a distance when people have been in lockdown, like everyone experienced in Melbourne. And I think they're very different. So I think managing from a distance, I've been doing that my whole career. You know, I, I was running service businesses out of Asia Pacific and things like that. So, so I, I, I'm used to running things from a distance. And I don't, I don't have any problem with that. You know, we were using Zoom and video before COVID and we're very comfortable doing that. But managing people in lockdown is, is difficult because, yeah. because everyone is tired and stressed and it's like a whole new, it's like a whole new thing. And, there- and, I, and that was, you know, you could do as many things as you like. You know, we did a lot of fun things. We sent, you know, I sent gifts and we, we, you know, did lots of different things. We had a, you know, a day where everybody gets online, buys their kids a gift, you know, and we had carers days and we had lockdown long weekend when you, when Melbourne was released, we did all sorts of fun things, but you know, the strain of that was challenging. Okay. And, you know, my job is, is to look after people, but I also have to look after keeping the organization going as well. And it, it was, yeah. And you just, you just got to always be trying to walk in everyone else's shoes. Yeah. You know, I've been in Sydney, not, not by design really, it was accidental. I drove back just to drop my daughters back to Sydney because we had like a workation in Melbourne. And then, you know, the numbers of COVID started to go up and I thought, oh, I'll just wait. And, you know, I was seeing the client here anyway. And, you know, and I had no intention of being here for that long. I didn't even yeah. barely pack any clothes. Like everything yeah. I've worn since June, I've had to pretty much, you know, like a lot of new things, my new tool. And, um, <laughs> So it's been like, um, yeah, it's... So I I've ask been- this because, because so many um, senior executives are 
in between jobs and when they go back to work, it will be different. It will, it will be different for them. So it's important for them to have this uh, intelligence of somebody who has been doing it whilst they are looking for work so that it's, they come back into the workforce and hit the ground running. It, right? It's such a good distinction because, because it will be different because a lot of people are, are not interested in going back to the office and a lot of people have, have been like, you know, I can do, the, I, I can, I can operate a different way. Introverts are terrified because they've really enjoyed this. And um, you've got to, you've got to consider this a hundred percent. And extroverts, how do you keep them focused? Because once they're let out, they're going to be like, you know, <laughs> I, my I had, husband, my yeah, husband had, was climbing the walls. There was a point that I was worried for him that he wasn't going to be able to cope anymore. Yeah, know, I, I had terrible. like a small family Thanksgiving here in Sydney, Sydney on, on the oh, weekend. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving, and, by the yeah, way. Thanks. And, um, and so I had a lot of social interaction. Mm-hmm. And Monday at work was very difficult for me. Because what I needed as an extrovert was to go into the office and be like, how's everyone going? Let's get a coffee and start the week. And I was in my daughter's bedroom with half strength coffee behind me. And I found Monday really difficult. I had to manage myself and I had to let everybody know that I was struggling Mm. and I had to give them the background why and say, this is why I also have a friend who's in hospital that was, is very sick. I had to tell everybody be transparent because otherwise they were vibing off me that I was like not happy to be at work on a Monday when it it was the reverse. What I really wanted to be was at work on Monday. And I'm like still here in the half strength coffee room. So let's talk about your career and where, how you got to where you are today. I love to hear career stories and I know a little bit about yours, but my listeners don't. So okay. where do you want to start? I mean, clearly you're an American in Australia. Yes. So that's yes. a story. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's always good to start from the beginning. And one of the things that um, getting older <laughs> gives you is the ability to look back and almost look at your life like a timeline, you know, and look at those milestones that made you go in a different direction and kind of reflect on what was it that catalyzed that that change or that decision was it accidental was it circumstantial was it intentional and and i think that that's been one of probably the most fascinating things that i've been able to do in my 50s you know you get that really cool lens back and so i originally studied engineering with with the sole purpose to be able to support my mother financially that was it. And I knew I was good in math and science. I liked fixing things. Nobody had ever gone to uni in my family. I was a bit on my own making them thinking, talk to a guidance counselor. And, you know, he's like, maybe you should go into engineering. I'm like, that sounds like a good idea. And, um, and so, you know, that was that. And, and then what I discovered was being in a lab really wasn't, and being in an engineering environment wasn't really for my personality. But what I really liked was working with customers and solving their problems. I became very customer centric. And, um, and I had a great opportunity at a very young age, at 23, to be able to work overseas in England. And at the time, like people do that all the time now, but at the time, you know, this girl from New Jersey, whose parents never went to uni, being able to work overseas, it was like, oh. wow. What, a, and, what um, an experience. And that opportunity was catalyzed by my decision to um, 
to leave the organization I was working for because I was working for a very sexist boss and I just got to the point where I'm like you know I'll, I'll do my time so to speak but then I'm, I'm moving on and, and I, I had been offered a role in Manhattan working for a company there at a very good salary which is something that you know it's like that's what in the 80s that's what you dreamed of you know working in Manhattan yeah. and um and so I, I I had I'm like a natural networker I don't do it for gain or any purpose I just like uh, particularly working with women you're and the so best I, out there that I know of <laughs> I just it's just it's just and it's really because I like to help women not yeah. it's not for any other so I I was 21 and I joined this company and it, it was all men and I met two women, one was 30, one was 40. I never thought about their titles and we decided to have drinks once a month, you know. And so I went for drinks and said, oh, I'm leaving and this is why. And they're like, oh, we don't want to lose you. I'm like, it's too late. I've signed the contract. And Gloria, who was um, the head of marketing, couldn't believe there were nudie pictures in the factory and, you know, that my boss had a poster of Lonnie Anderson on the back of his door and the next day all hell broke loose. And um, the vice president was taking things down worldwide, posters down, coffee mugs out, all because of me. And I said, it's too late, guys. It, I'm over the line. I've got a new offer. And they're like, we don't want to lose you. And and I wasn't lodging a complaint or anything. And then, you know, Drew Kelton, who ironically is in Australia, off, off interviewed me and said, well, do you want to come work in England? And I was like, well, you know, when does that get to happen? And my mom's like, you can always come back. Go for it. And it was a big decision and on paper it looked like the wrong decision because the salary you know was much lower it was it was it was a third of the salary of the manhattan job a third and i took it because i decided the opportunity was bigger than the, bigger than the you know the financial change and that was probably one of the most important career decisions i've ever made you know and and you know we had this really incredible roles we were the international division for the whole company we did we were third level engineering we fixed the problems no one else could fix we closed the deals internationally we worked with all the channel partners and you know we got to travel and it was it was it was yeah it was unbelievable you know and then um my visa was running out and drew moved to australia and um he asked me to come do some work here and then ended up offering me a role because we won a really big network deal for um the Bureau of Meteorology and DFAT. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is, is that the product that, that, that we were selling was the one that none of the guys wanted. So as a female engineer, you often got the dregs and it was packet switching, you know, and everybody was like, nobody wanted to do that. And so it was my product range and, and it was a, it was a real dud of a product. You know, would, you'd, you'd look at the system and it would just reset and the customer would be like, did that just reset? And you'd be like, <laughs> sure let me have a look like it would be like the you know, whole zoom crashes and comes back up yeah, again yeah oh no and, um and so um you know you just you just had this this happening all the time so you know i think sometimes you just got to trust and um and so you know i did that and then i studied a master's in environmental engineering while i was doing that role because I realized that I didn't really want to be in IT and I completed that at the University of Sydney and then pivoted into leadership in IT and thought that would be a nice transition and had a wonderful opportunity to work for a IT startup out of the US that was Cisco's competitor and um, and 
that that ended up being merged with another company. And then, um, you know, Cisco was clearly winning that war. And I was headhunted by a company called Comtech. And I was interested in that role for a lot of personal reasons. It was a real family company. It was started by the Shane family. And I needed to be with family people um, and not people that maybe yeah. weren't family people, if you know what I mean. I was in the middle of a divorce. I had two young babies and um, and I needed to be around people that cared about that. And I was surrounded by a lot of people that were a bit wild. And um, and so that was a very important decision and, um, and that was a wonderful um, career change. And so I became very client-centric and... And just, you know, you make decisions at different times. You know, I, I made that change. I had a one-year-old, three-year-old. My ex-husband moved overseas. I'm an immigrant. Changing from IT was not a good decision for me. And I made decisions for my daughters. And I don't regret that at all. And we grew that business from $9 million to $100 million. Like, it was, it was a wonderful seven years. And um, the CEO at the time... Steve Nola helped me incredibly when my mom was dying of cancer. And, you know, I, I made a commitment to get that business to hundred million as part of my commitment to them as that. Thank you for that very challenging time that they supported me to be the carer for my mom and gave me a three month sabbatical and paid me and let me pay them back. You know, the, you know, I'm, you know, I work for leaders and, you know, it, I, I'll never forget that period because I couldn't have had better leadership and support. I completely agree. And, and I think that it's very important um, for us to um, go back and thank people that have helped us in our 100%. careers. And I have had similar occasions where I was so grateful to be working for great people that supported me when I needed support. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you know, it's so good. Yeah. And it makes a complete difference in your life's, uh, lifestyle, your personal well-being, if you can count on your colleagues and 100 percent you know equality happens for everybody when leaders make great decisions and and so you know and then and then you know i ended up ca calling a client to just have a chat about you know careers and um and they ended up offering me a role another great leader michael blumfield who uh you know was one of the key founders of comsec and i worked to become back and and you know i I went to ComBank because he was looking for someone to help him drive change, mm -hmm. drive a better customer service um, culture. And, um, and, you know, from that grew an opportunity to do a lot of community programs. Again, another great leader, Simon Bruce Weston. And he gave him and Michael gave me the opportunity to do my job, which was strategy, ops, hardcore banking execution, well, at the same time, um, I had the opportunity to do community-based programs. And, you know, we founded Women in Focus from that. We founded Indigenous um, Microfinance. We had a, a yeah. portfolio of over 40 clients. Um, and um, we did a huge amount for not-for-profits. And, you know, that was that was a wonderful period. I always call it my accidental banking years because I, I made a commitment. I always commit. That if somebody says, will you do this? I say, yep. And I tell them what I'll commit to. And I never, I never go back on that. So mm -hmm. I committed to Michael and B that I'd stay for three years. And a lot happened in those three years. And he ended up leaving and Simon came in. And I said, Simon, I'll commit 
till you're onboarded. And then, you know, I stayed for seven years because, you know, the work we did with the Hunger Project to drive cultural change and the business banking division was incredible. And um, that program lasted for seven years. It outlasted my um, Simon. It outlasted me as the women in focus. And, and, you know, you, you know, when you build stuff and you walk away and it goes without you, you know, it was something that was meant to last. So that legacy is so great to see, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you walk away from a job and you leave a legacy behind that remains yeah. and also that invites you back because that's yeah. how we met. And we met when I was the CEO of a foundation yes. that was very well supported by the Commonwealth bank and our um, keep, partner there was Kelly by Rosemary and you know I think my chair at the time and 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 Kelly were very close um, because of that partnership that we had with the CBA for the foundation and Jillian my chair uh, called and said I think the CBA will invite you for something you have to say yes whatever I don't know exactly what it is but you have to say yes and then my CBA contacting Melbourne uh, said oh you know we are inviting you to come to this conference up in Queensland I think it was Noosa it was Noosa the first time wasn't it that I went and I, I had no idea what was coming I remember stopping in Brisbane along the way and having a catch up with a f- few friends from GFED. I'm like, I, I'm going for this weekend away. I have no idea what to expect. And, yeah. it, and it really transformed my life. It was a big milestone for me. Oh, that makes me really happy. And I told you, I think the next time I attended, because, uh, you know, it's a blessing to go twice. It's really, you know, yeah. it's not easy. Yeah. I, I uh, reached out to you and I, you know, thanked yes. you. Yes. You yeah, know, I remember it. Met, yeah, we hadn't met yeah. the first time because there are hundreds of women, yeah. uh, and it's such a you know overwhelming feeling, and it's so much to absorb. I felt like a sponge. I felt like I was yeah. a dry sponge, and I came back all nurtured, and you know, <laughs> it yeah. was so cool. And then the next time I came, I came to you and said, "I just love this thing for doing this. Thanks for your book. Thanks for everything." So, oh, it's yeah. a pleasure. It um. You know, it makes me very happy to see uh, the longevity of the relationships and connections that um, were inspired by Women in Focus. And, um, you know, Kelly catalyzed it as well. She um, supported it through the entire time at at ComBank, and that was really critical. For those listening, Um, she's now the CEO at Optus, by the way. That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, it started out as a product idea and it moved to community. And that was a very important shift Mm -hmm. because um, I think the reason why it became a community and so many women have retained such strong connections and such positive brand recognition of ComBank at that time and, and now is because, you know, it wasn't about selling superannuation. It was about was about connecting people yeah. and inspiring them and informing them and leveraging the resources of the bank to um to to offer something to the community so um so yeah so you know it's Can easy I ask you a question mm-hmm. about all of these transitions that you've made what do you think were your key strengths that allowed you to make all of those sector transitions and professional big changes really to move from engineering to IT to and sectors you know a master in environmental what is it environmental yeah. science and and then move to a more of a customer centric leadership role in a bank 
what was the the thread, the golden thread that linked everything? This is important in the context of a lot yeah. of senior leaders and and yeah. people changing It's, sectors at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think um, you've you, you, I've got to finish the story because the answer comes from the okay. end. It, it, so I, I I made a decision that. You know, it's easy to stay at a place like Combank. You know, it's comfortable. It's very comfortable. I mean, I don't know if it's still comfortable, but it's comfortable. And um, and it was important for me to 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 leave and just to take you know some time to think about what to do next. And um, so I took what I described as my late mat leave, and um, took three months clear off. And um, that was when my youngest daughter was going through HSC and that was a smart decision and wrote my book at that time very quickly. And then really, yeah. Oh, oh yes, thank you. And, uh, and, um, and then I ran my own business, which was very challenging and, you know, very rewarding. And now I'm the CEO of a non-for-profit called business for development. I've got a spruik where I'm at. And um, and business development is is actually the hardest work I've done because we we deliver programs on the ground and we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're trying to get thirty uh, thousand vines up there from Garoka to the top of the highlands in Papua New Guinea. That's what we achieved over the weekend. Planted. Oh my goodness! And it's like you know, and 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 so I think you've you've got to back yourself. You know, you've got to. You've got to believe in yourself, and you've got to have that courage to step off the platform into the abyss. And it may seem like that's easy, but it's 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 not. Mm. It's not for me, you know, because you know I, I, I work with uh, seven entrepreneurs and have been for a few years now. And um, one of them is Melissa Brown, and she is um, a, a, an author. And um, a public speaker, and she runs a couple of, of her own businesses. And um, she asked me what my money story was, and I never thought about this. Like, what are you talking about, my money story? And she asked me questions like you are, like, you know, what are the stories? <laughs> and it, just this conversation has had such a profound impact on my career choices because my mom used to say, "You got to make sure you don't end up in the poorhouse." And when Melissa was asking me about my money story, I was like. Where is the poorhouse? Like, is it a place you knock on the door? Let me in. I'm coming to join the poorhouse, and it is ingrained in my head this concept of the poorhouse. And I constantly battle with um, the fear of ending up in the poorhouse, but also it invokes scarcity mindset, right? Yeah. So you know, I'm like, you know, we had a board meeting yesterday, and all I kept saying to myself was, "Don't think scarcity mindset. Don't think we don't have enough resources to do this. You got to battle that." The mindsets that are implanted, and um, and so it's about it's about saying, okay, I, I know this is in the way of me stepping off this platform or this ledge, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway. You know, you've got to. Michael Blumfield said to me once, one of the reasons why I hired you, KJ, is because you are prepared to take great personal risk, mm-hmm. and and. I've always done that for my customers, right? So if my customer had a problem, I would put my job on the line to solve that problem for them, right? And and part of changing careers is about taking personal risk, and it's gonna and and it's gonna rub up. Like some people are just amazing at it. You know, you look at entrepreneurs; they're like incredible. They they 
are the bravest people. But um, but I'm sure they have stuff they're battling as well. You just don't see it. Yeah. So I think do you think that, that you fought against this concept of the scarcity house because leaving Combank as an example is a very uh, risky move. If yes. you were really following your mother's advice, oh, I would have you, never left. Yes, okay. I would have. Uh, one of the guys I worked for in the past, he's like KJ. You've been running a marathon as a single mom. And you've got 4K left to go. Don't leave the bank. Yes. <laughs> He's like, stay. I said, I, I just, it's time for a change. I mean, I, I went for, you know, three years, I'm at seven. And, um, and uh, you know, so, yeah, definitely. Um, Do it, you think what drives your change is a sense that you have more to give and you have more to share and you get I wouldn't say bored because I can't, I can't think of you ever bored. Um, you get, you need more challenge for your yeah, personal so, development. So what was happening was I was thinking uh, I'm not doing enough for the, um, that things that I believe are important. I'm not mm -hmm. doing enough. I'm not like eating my own dog, drinking my own champagne. I've been advised eating my own dog food is a good expression by 150 women at a conference. <sighs> drinking my own champagne and, and living my life on purpose. So I would be like, you know, at the end of my day thinking, what have I really done for the environment or this? And so I had to get on purpose. And I had a wonderful opportunity to do that at Combank. But what ended up happening was, is that my role in strategy and ops got bigger And my time in my community programs got smaller. Mm. And, you know, like my one of my responsibilities was the SAP migration for corporate financial services. You know, it's a $1.8 oh billion, no. billion dollars of profit to the bottom line. And I had to lead that. And, you know, real-time banking, that was not an easy scope of work. And, and that took a lot of my time. So, you know, I was spending less time in things like the community business finance and women in focus. And a lot of time making sure that the ERP system integration was working. And, and so, you know, it was just time, right. For yeah. me to, um, to step off, but, yeah. but it was, it was absolutely catalyzed by my commitment to live life on purpose. And, um, and I've been working extremely hard through COVID very hard. Like I, I think this is one of the hardest times I've worked since probably, I don't know, maybe writing the book and maybe being, and, and, and it, it, what catalyzes me is, is the work we're doing because it business for development, I can wake up every morning and be like, okay, I know this is good work. I know, you know, when, uh, when I received the photos over the weekend from our lead in Papua New Guinea, Noel Kuman, it, it made my day. Yeah, it, it was, you know, to, to see, you know, 30,000 vines being planted and 2,000 kilos of, of tubers being planted is incredible. And, and you, you can't underestimate the joy that brings. And, it, and, you know, that wasn't easy. Just a, a side note, this is Noel. I'll send you these pictures. He, he loaded, we loaded everything on the truck. Right. And I don't know if you know about Papua New Guinea, but it's, it's the terrain is, is insane. And he had to get from Garoka to the top of the highlands and he couldn't get the truck up the hill. Yeah. And he had to unload the truck and find two more trucks and start all over again. 
I can imagine it's like some of the parts where my father was brought up in the Amazon, you know, like really yeah. rough terrain. Yeah. There's a story in the Amazon of a uh, train track that had, they tried to build for like two decades and they would build it and it would disappear <laughs> in the rain, yeah. or, you know, just spend a week without building it and then just things will just grow over it. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. But tell me this. Um, you know, with all of these um, career changes, sector changes, country changes, looking back, what have you learned that you can impart for others uh, that are now considering making these um, moves? You know, would you do anything differently or was something that you've done that really surprised you that you think is a good advice for somebody that's now considering a sector change, for example? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you have to be prepared um, to, to do work outside of your day job to, to make these changes, right? Like people say, oh, how did you, how did that happen? You know, B4D is a perfect example, right? So I was running my own business and I was invited to participate in a, in a comedy debate, a comedic debate to launch Muhammad Yunus's latest book, A World of Three Zeros, right? And I was like, am I, am, like everyone who knew me is like, you've never done that. I'm like, I know, but my strategy is to say yes. It's my own business. I'm saying yes to everything. <laughs> and um, and we did this with um, Kat Dunn, who was running the um, Grameen Foundation at the time. And then Muhammad Yunus, Professor Muhammad Yunus, invited us to do it so in India. It, just to, uh, for the listeners, I'm going to put the link below so that, you know, he's a microfinancing guru and, yeah. you know, well-known. Is he an Nobel economist? Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll put a link below. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like, yeah, when does that happen? So he invites me to go to India. And I'm like, oh, my God. And everybody's like, are you going to go? Are you really going to do that? And it was all funded out of my own money, you know. I mean, he didn't fund us, so not for profit. You know, you fund. And so it. It costs a lot of money. Like, you know, it was be two weeks of out of my own business, plus airfare, plus hotel. Like, I don't know what that all adds up to. It was not trivial. And it, hands down, best decision I've made because, you know, I shared room with Kat and we're like, oh, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, you know, I really miss leadership. And she sent me the link to B4D and say, oh, is, this sounds like the kind of thing you would be interested in. It was exactly what I was interested in. And, you know, I just gave this advice to my daughter's friend who's looking to, she's in a role she doesn't like. And I said, well, you've got to do things that you like to do outside of what you're currently doing and, and do that outside of it and, and be prepared to, to give. And, and, and to take, let people know. I remember you had told me that you were missing leadership. Yeah. And I came back to Melbourne from wherever we were talking about this. And, you know, I kept you top of mind. Yes. Look, you know, if you tell right. people that you yeah. you are ready for a change and that you're looking yeah. for a role, um, yeah. then people know of you and they will yeah. come to you with with ideas and opportunities. Yeah, and and get involved in things and and that sounds easy, but you just got to You just get started and and um. I Didn't just I introduce up. you to some headhunters? I did. I came yeah, back to did. Melbourne. Yeah, and you I did. thought, oh, I think she needs to meet. Yeah, you know X, yeah. Y, and Z, and I yeah. emailed. And you I and, think yeah. right after that, I went to India. Yes, that's I, right. I think that was the timing. I know and because you told me it was out of your own pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, because okay, I didn't know that's I, a know, big was, expense. <laughs> yeah, I was running a lean business at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then um, 
the the other thing I adopted when I started my own business, which I I wish I would have started earlier, is I, I imagined every day that there was a mud field and that I would just throw seeds into the mud field mm-hmm. and I'd throw a hundred seeds out and maybe one would grow. And I just gave this um, advice to someone who's changing their career. I caught up with her for a 7 a.m. coffee this week and um, and we gave each other advice. And I said, just throw one seed out, one seed out a day. Just do one thing to move yourself to where you want to be going. And, mm-hmm. and, and by setting yourself that kind of goal, you actually end up doing that you know so if i if when i was running my business if i was if i was delivering services for a client i would still find time somewhere in the day to throw those seeds out karen uh, you were applying for a job in a not-for-profit you had worked um uh, bridging the um divide between a bank and foundations and not-for-profits when you were at the commonwealth yes. bank but you had never worked in the nonprofit world um how did you interview for those roles? And I mean, was there an interview, or like a formal interview process, or were you more oh, head? Oh yes, it was. I can imagine. <laughs> okay, because uh, you know, many people uh, in the corporate sector um, at all levels are interested in jumping ship to the nonprofit, and it is a different ball game, as you know now. You know, it's yeah. very lean. It's very hands-on. It's very vertical. You know, you're leading, yeah. but you're also doing. You're steering the ship and you're rowing. And yes. it can be exhausting. Um, it's so, a great way of describing it. Exactly. And and the, for that reason, the interview process is very thorough. So when I was yes. interviewed for the John Monash Foundation, it took almost a year for them to make, make up their minds. And it's yeah. always very thorough. And I can imagine yours was too. How do you think you were able to convince them that somebody coming from a large, listed, you know, really um, uh, big organization would be able and suitable to run uh, business for development? Um, I think the first thing was I, I, I really wanted the role. Like, like I wanted this role. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's important because it determines how you interview. Yeah. Like there was nothing. Your body relaxed. language, what comes out of your mouth, the way that you interact. The preparation. The preparation, yeah. The proactive actions, the follow-up calls, the everything. And one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is, is I think it's really important to have people in your corner in your personal life. Like I, I have been very lucky that um, I have very good friends. Like, like I have good friends. And um and you know, like my friend, my best friend Vicky is is like my person, you know. If she, you know, we talk almost every day. And um, you know, having people in your corner, my friend Maisie is like me, single, you know, same age group, you know, and we mentor each other for our careers. It's important to have people in your corner. Are they and- also corporate women? Um, Vicky ran her own business, sold it yes. to Ogilvy um, years ago and has been doing not-for-profit pro bono work um, and is on the board of MICA. And so I, I don't think she'd ever call herself corporate. No, I, she's yeah. an entrepreneur. But you have Remazie's people that, corporate. yeah, what, yeah. I, what, uh, what I think is important for professionals at all levels, whatever level they are in their careers, their recent graduates or their senior is um that network of colleagues 100%. that have 
uh, a, a, a similar interest, their mindsets, and if they don't get a coach to support you I, I until you build that network. Yeah. But for example, um, I have friends and colleagues and clients that they are the corporate senior exec and their husband or wife has a retail shop or is a beautician, or is a teacher, or is a tradie, yeah. or a builder. So um, the the two worlds, it's beautiful in young, but, yeah. uh, it, you know, in, when you're going through an interview process, it's quite hard for that to to support yeah. you in the sense that, you know, it's, it's completely different um, ways yeah. of interacting with your future employer or client yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You need, you need experienced people. I, I've been very blessed that I've, I've had an incredible mentor in, in Wendy McCarthy. I mean, if I could not complete the podcast without mentioning Wendy, she's unbelievable. She's never given me a, any experience sharing or advice that hasn't been spot on. And, um, and, you know, ironically, like, I don't want to sound like I'm name dropping, but these people shared incredible ideas and thoughts with me and they made a difference, you know, and, and I think, you know, being able to find good people is, is really important. So I just coincidentally had a dinner with Ronnie Khan the night before I was flying to Melbourne for my last interview. And I shared with her my worries and she's like, well, just call it at the start, call it. And so at the start of the interview, the last interview, I called what I saw as the elephant in the room, which was with the board. Um, you can't well, say that's okay. I thought yeah. maybe it was something to do with your background because yeah. I think, you know, as a career coach, uh, it, I often tell people that if there is something that you think that's playing in your, uh, the selection panel's mind about yourself, some people think it's their age, something, some yeah, people it, think it, it's it their lack actually, of experience in the background, in, in, in the sector. Yeah. Well, address it as part of your pitch. It wasn't about me. It was about what I thought they might be thinking. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and it was perhaps unfair of me to think they may be thinking that, right? It was mm-hmm. presumptuous. Yes. But I just, I, and, and so that was bold because yeah. if they weren't thinking that, then, mm-hmm. then I could have come across as, you know, mm-hmm. but, I, but I raised it in a way where it was, you know, and, and I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Really you, always, you should always do that and um, and yeah. come clean about um, whatever objections people yeah. may have about you. Yeah, like I'm wondering yeah. if you're thinking. Yes. And if you are, let me explain why that's not going to be a challenge for me in this role. That's yeah. that's how I address it. I'm wondering if you're thinking, and but but I was. So we're back. We're back. She answered the knock on the door, and I was. Um, Going to say, um, I'm going to add this page to um, to the blog. Oh yes, the one with the dipshit on the, <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> I the love this shit so much. You know, the blind spot, the dipshit, and then it goes up after that. After you recognize that you have those blind spots, yes, and then you um, and then you can address them. You know, you yeah. you hit the rock bottom. You, that's your blind spot. That's, you know, um, going to now enable you knowing it and addressing it. And yeah. that's what your network does for you as well is have that perspective of looking at you from a different angle, yeah, identifying your strengths, identifying what you're good yeah. at yeah, and identifying, you know, what you can do better. Yes. Yeah. So and literally. Times, yeah. 
literally asking people to be your cheerleader. I remember when um, Wiley offered me the book deal. My daughter, I won't name her, said, um, Mom, like, because she liked me at Combank, right? That was mm-hmm. that was good for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, no, this is going to change. And she said, you, you, you don't know how to do this. And I'm like, well, you know, if you're not going to believe in me, leave the room. And she just looked at me. I said, just shut the door behind you and leave the room until you're prepared to back me and believe in me. And now as a family, we do this little chant, I believe in you. I believe in you. And we've applied for this grant at Business for Development. And it's the biggest grant we've ever applied for. And we've been shortlisted, 186 to 22. And so I've got everybody in my my tight circle saying, take us. Pick us. And I'm like, come on, say the chant for the grant. Pick us, pick us. And it's like you just, you know, and, and on the Zoom calls with the team on Teams, I'm like, everybody, pick us. And they think I'm crazy. But it's like it's about getting everybody in your corner and saying, yeah, I can I can see this happening, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, it doesn't always work, right? You know, you do a lot of things that don't work. I mean, I've done way more things that didn't work than did. But you've got to do a lot of things. And and Karen, you are clearly an extrovert. You are so charismatic. You're like the sun when you're on stage. You have this amazing network that supports you. Um, but you know and you work with people that are introverts and that have less of this ability to let people know about them and about what they do. Yeah. Um, I, I'm asking you this because I know you are a mentor and an advocate and a supporter for many women, and I'm assuming that not all of them are extroverts, right? Right. No. So <laughs> what is your advice for um, professionals out there that have more of um, a more timid about putting themselves out there and taking those risks? They are willing, but they have less um, that of that trait to position themselves um, and communicate well? Um, I think, you know, when you look at as like, if you look at, because you've experienced the Women in Focus conference, I mean, everybody on the Women in Focus team has to be as as extrovert as possible during that conference. Like that's their job. That's the job. There is no, I'm going to go back to my room. It's like, no, you're, you're going to come to, we even had a role and and we rotated it. And, 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 um, I think that um, that at the end of the conference, everybody would be like, oh, I can't wait to go home and like bunker down and like be in for two days. And I'd be like, really? I could like do another conference. And <laughs> so the majority of the women in the Women in Focus team actually had quite introverted tendencies. And, um, and you know, I, I think that, you know, introverts, if you think of the definition, doesn't mean you can't go out and network. It just means you draw your energy from when you are in your own space and extroverts draw energy from other people. And that's really the definition. But we can all communicate and be with people and help each other. And so if you redefine what networking is about, networking isn't about going out and being in a big crowd. It's about giving. And I think when you think about networking as giving, I don't, I don't really like the word networking. I don't tend to use it. I don't even think about it personally. I just think, you know, we all have a responsibility to give to others. And if you just think of your relationship in your work and your personal as giving, it, it's, it's really easy no matter where you draw your energy from 
because giving is giving. And that would be um, my recommendation because, you know, I really need like a two-day nap after those conferences where I was like ready to go to another one. I mean, the last major thing I did was MC the Movers and Breakers conference at Business Chicks in uh, Broome in October 19. And uh, we ended it with um, a song. And honestly, it, it has it has carried so many of us through COVID and I popped into the Facebook chat to everybody, you know, I listened to our song over and over again when I'm having a bad day through COVID Mm -hmm. and everybody was like, so do I. Mm -hmm. And I'd say 80% of the people that go to movies and breakers are introverts, you know, but they go and they show up and they leave on a, on a, on a higher plane than when they arrived. And you've only got to leave with one thing. Maybe it's the song at the end. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the speakers are always incredible. And um, maybe it's a friendship you didn't have before you start. And, and you know, just 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 jo- just join something. Join anything. Just mm-hmm. do something. You know, I think it all adds up. You know, I, I, I don't even know how I could have ever predicted that, you know, I would be emceeing Movers and Breakers. You know, I would have never predicted that. And, um and that all just came out of me wanting to give back to women. Karen, you probably know people in your network that are in between jobs this year. Yes, a lot. Um, and we are launching this podcast just before Christmas. This podcast will yeah. be released on the 14th of December. And it's a, it's a strange time, Christmas, because it's yeah. supposed to be the happy season. But for those that are unemployed, it can be... Um, very stressful and and anxious as well. I've been in that situation a couple of times and it's both, you know, you're happy and you're enjoying yourself and then you have a quiet time and you're worrying, right? Um, What is your advice? And as somebody who is so connected with the corporate sector, with the not-for-profit, what do you foresee in in, um, looking at, when you look at 2021, what do you see? Let's be optimistic and, and yeah. give people advice uh, because I think yeah. we can, especially you know, if we're listening in Australia, I think we're more optimistic than people yes. overseas, right? Yeah. So so uh, Olivia Ruella, CEO of Business Chicks, proactively just sent me a book this year, Untamed, by Glennon Doyle. Oh, right? yes. Everybody's reading this book. I loved it. Yeah. And Liv knows me so well. She's like, get the girls to read it. I loved it. And so I follow her now, right? I, I'm kind of obsessed with her. And um, and she's got this motto, we can do hard things, right? So I'm optimistic. I'm a naturally optimistic person, but I think it's really important to be pragmatic because it drives our decisions. I think next year is going to be hard. I, I think it's going to be hard. So, you know, we can do hard things. You know, every day I'm dealing with something with the flood and it's like I can do hard things. It's a first world problem and I know that. But you just, it's a mantra. We can do hard things. And if you wake up and you go, I can do hard things. I can do hard things. You know, my best friend, Vix, she sprained her ankle. I'm like, it's okay, Vic. Don't conflate it and don't add it to your 2020 story, right? Like I am working. I mean, I think it's really important. I, I've had the entire COVID experience. Like I got very sick in March, was diagnosed with pleurisy, which left me very susceptible to COVID. My dad died of COVID. My sister almost died of COVID. 
I'm sorry, Karen. That no, was that's early, a, very early in the year, wasn't it? it was March, right. I think. We were, you know, and, and, so and my, jo- my daughter was living overseas and I had to convince her to come back. She was like, mom, you're so dramatic. You're so <laughs> I did that and, to my son as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you've got 24 hours. <laughs> flights. And, and she just made it. And then yes. there were no flights. Huh? And, and so it has been, and, you know, and. <laughs> We had to quarantine her here. Then I had to stay with poor Maisie. And then my dad died while I was living in someone else's house. And then I yelled at her in the fridge and didn't know that she was on a Zoom call with 50 people. And maybe I swore like a Jersey mama. (laughs) Maybe they talked about it for six months. Maybe (laughs) I used the worst swear words out of The Sopranos. (laughs) It was one of the funniest and you can take a girl away from New Jersey, but not the New Jersey well, away from the girl. Give her pleurisy, have her two of her family members, one died and one almost died of COVID, and then have the daughter who's supposed to be uh, not getting near her mother in the fridge with her laptop doing a conference call with the door. I didn't see it. So it was the COVID story because I swore like, <laughs> I can't even tell you. And um, oh, they they talked about it for a, a long time. And... Um, it was too bad the CEO of her company was on the call. <laughs> we all have those funny stories to tell now. Yeah. And um, so my advice is not to conflate the 2020 story. Like, stop talking about it. Don't stack. We call the big words conflate, the simple word in the family. It's, we call it stacking. You know, like I sliced the top of my finger off this year and had to be in emergency for two days and I have to massage it all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm not stacking. Oh my God, this happened, then this happened. Because if I stack the year, it's been a, a hell of a year. Yeah. And um, so don't stack, but also stare into the problem, right? Stare into it and say, okay, March, what's going to happen in March? I'm going to be ready. You know, so stash the cash, be conservative financially and hit everything hard because you can do hard things. Yes. Well said. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. It's It's been a pleasure having you. I can't wait to see you when you're back in Melbourne. We're going to have a beer. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I'm going to send you these photos because I really, really want, um, one of the outcomes of this podcast to celebrate the work of business for development, because we, I cannot tell you how difficult it was to uh, build the team in PNG, have everyone quarantine and get them into the Highlands and achieve this. And uh, the timing's perfect. So I want to celebrate the guys on the ground in PNG, Noel and Isidore and Wayne, because it, it has been uh, uh, primarily Noel and Isidore just incredible. Yeah, notwithstanding the entire BFD team in Kenya and in Melbourne and the team in Melbourne for continuing to deliver our incredibly hard programs in lockdown. Do you want to tell um, the listeners um, a little bit about Business for Development? Because you actually didn't tell them what it actually does. Yeah, exactly. So I, why, I how often about forget that? that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Self-promotion. I've got to get better at it. Um, so Business for Development, we're not for profit, but we use business principles to solve the complex problems around rural poverty and in particular smallholder farmers. Smallholder farmers are farmers. There's about... Um, a billion people that live off of smallholder farming. It's between one and two hectares. And most smallholder farmers are living in a subsistent under $3 a day 
lives. So we work to um, provide them with the best agricultural inputs and solutions, smart climate change solutions. Um, we have a team of agronomists. Agronomists are people who understand how to make things grow. Um, we work with communities to find out what they want to grow, and then we connect them and create markets for them to be able to actually, one, get out of food security, but most importantly, build businesses, build enterprises. And we work in East Africa and we work in um, Asia. And um, we partner with business and government and um, and and we use cross-sector partnerships so that we're not just waiting on funding. We achieved our tax deductibility status in January. Um, so we can now take donations. You can just hop on the website. And um, now we're applying for grants, which we haven't been able to do in the past because we didn't have that status. And um, and I'd like to thank the partners that have been supporting us through um, this time because the easiest thing to do is to cut these kind of programs. And yeah. organizations like um, Base Titanium, Oil Search, St. Barbara, Cotton On Group, um, ACIR, the Australian um, Centre for international agriculture and research a lot of people don't know ACA they are amazing um and um yeah and um and just thank them for their support excellent now people know I'll put a link below as well yeah. of course the episode show notes have everything that you will be yeah. searching for and questions um as you listen to this and you hear names and you want to know who this person is just look at the episode show notes yeah, and Bye, thank everyone. you so much for the invitation. Thank you, Karen. See you soon. See you soon. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and remember that if you decide to continue to job search over the Christmas uh, time, we have the workshop now on demand that you can listen to. It's the optimized job search two-part workshop that you can now download and listen and have the schedule that you need uh, to ensure that you don't lose the momentum and you continue your job search. We will be here with weekly podcasts to support you. I have my weekly newsletters to support you and we are here for you. So keep in touch, subscribe to the newsletter and to the podcast, go to the workshop and download the schedule so that you can keep the momentum and don't stop. If you need a job, we're here for you. Bye for now.